we're gonna go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. We could all stand. I love the fact that, that we stand and it's just such a small token of our respect for God's word and for him. So we're gonna go to 2 Corinthians 10 and three. This is in the amplified version that I'm reading. For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using weapons of man. You know, we sang a lot about victory today. And today, I believe that God wants to equip someone to fight the good fight and to slay some monsters today. I feel like God wants to equip somebody and empower someone to slay the thing that you've been fighting a long time and to put it down for good. Just like David cut off the head of Goliath to end that battle for good. I believe that somebody in this house is gonna do that today with the help of the Holy Ghost. Let's all lift our hands. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all that you do, God. You're so holy and so wonderful. We humble ourselves in your presence. We ask that your Holy Spirit would stay in this sanctuary. We've already felt it all around us and inside of us. Jesus, I pray that you'd continue to do some work today. God, equip your saints. Equip your saints with the, the materials and the things that we need to live this life and to slay the monsters in our own lives, God, and to ultimately get to heaven and be with you for all of eternity, Jesus. As Revelation says, there's gonna be a day where that dragon, that old serpent, is gonna be cast down for good with one word out of your mouth, Jesus, and we're looking forward to that day. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen, you can be seated. I'm, I'm going to reveal a little bit of uh, myself today, if that's okay. Something you may not know about me. But um, the title of what we're going to discuss today is Monsters and Men. You know, as when I was growing up, my all-time favorite thing in the entire world was learning about heroes that slayed dragons. My favorite thing ever, I just, I loved the idea of somebody who was, uh, well, now that I look back and kind of analyze it, but I love the idea of somebody who, in all intents and purposes, on their own, was not someone special, but they had supernatural experience that allowed them to do great feats of, of wonder, like slaying dragons and monsters, and going on these adventures and odysseys and and doing amazing things that no human could do. And I remember when I was older, I thought about this, our fascination with heroes. Everybody loves a good hero story. Everybody loves to see good triumph over evil. The hero of the story, although flawed and, and has, his, has their own issues, but they're able to do something righteous, to go beyond themselves, to protect not just themselves, but those around them, and to do something miraculous. You know, we're so fascinated with heroes, and I believe, this is just my belief, that it comes from a longing in our soul to be saved. Because we know we can't be saved on our own. Innately, we just know that, that, that there is, we need a Savior. We need somebody to, to save us from the things we can't get out of. And I, I just, I absolutely love these stories. And I, 
I was listening to um, a lecture. If you don't know this already, I love to learn. So I listen to a lot of educational material. But I was listening to this lecture on myths, just, just regular myths. This, this was not like a spiritual thing. We weren't studying the Bible or anything, but it was about myths. And I remember the professor, who I don't believe was a believer. I mean, faith didn't even come up in that lecture. But this professor was talking about the psychology behind myth. And, you know, the Bible says to be careful not to follow fables and myths and not use them as doctrine, and we understand that. But there's something when you begin to study the way that these myths develop, and you can start to see something in human psychology that's really interesting. The first thing that he dissected, um, just to give you some examples, was Odysseus when he slayed Onimus, the Cyclops, and Hercules when he slayed the snake as a baby and the Hydra monster and so on and so forth. Then Beowulf was another one, uh, you know, an English poem, medieval poem of a man who did great feats and slayed monsters and dragons. And, and he was talking about all this and like, what does it mean? Why, why did these myths just show up? And I don't believe that it's just for pure entertainment, although that's true, but most stories that humans develop, there is some kind of lesson in it. There's something that, that we're trying to explain, maybe something we can't quite put our finger on it, so we lend it to fiction. C.S. Lewis was a master at this, where he would write fiction books that had these great truths that you could dig into. And I believe myth is the same way. When you start to see a man who was a nobody, have a spiritual or supernatural encounter with a higher power and has been equipped with a specific mission and purpose to slay a monster to protect himself or to, to protect those around him. I think there's something righteous in that. And I believe there's scripture that backs that up too, how God equips us to do very similar things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to discuss what is the real monster that needs to be slain. We're going to talk about a couple examples in the Bible, specifically Samson, of a quote-unquote hero and see how God treats uh, that that's raising up a hero to do something miraculous. And then we're going to talk about how to slay the monsters. Is that okay? Of monsters and men today. The book of Judges. What a book. <laughs> the book of Judges. What a book. Um, it opens on a high note and then very rapidly descends into just horrible things that the children of Israel were doing. It starts with um, Judah capturing Jerusalem from the Canaanites, or what would be Jerusalem after they establish their kingdom. It starts on a high note. Um, Judah captures a bunch of other cities too. This is Judges chapter 1. Um, they defeat uh, this guy named Adoni or Adonai uh, Bezek, and the Bible says that they cut off his, his thumbs and his big toes. <laughs> Book of Judges is interesting. But they cut off his thumbs and his big toes, essentially removing his power, his ability to fight back. It was symbolic. But then is the Israelites have victory, victory after victory after victory under Joshua. And now they're moving into the promised land. And, and Joshua dies at the very beginning of Judges. So now Israel is uh, essentially without a military commander, and they were moving into the period of the judges. The Bible says that after Joshua died, God raised up judges to judge Israel and to lead them into righteousness. Now, 
unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out that way because the Israelites, as God describes them, are a stiff-necked people. They're pretty stubborn. And they started doing things in, in direct disobedience to God's command. Before they went into the promised land, God told them that when you conquer a city, kill everybody and destroy their altars. Get rid of everything, every remnant of the people that were there. Why did God say that? Because God knew that if the children of Israel started to mingle with this culture that was already there, that they were going to have to fight some monsters that they were not ready to fight, spiritual monsters. So in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, God pronounces judgment on them. And he says, now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and led you to the land which I swore to give you, uh, or that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. That's what God told them to do. But this is what they did. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? So I also said, I will not drive your enemies out before you, but they will be like thorns in your side and their gods will be a snare to you. Oh, what a pronouncement of judgment. All because of disobedience, now the monsters come out at night. The disobedience of Israel, now they had to face some things that God didn't, God didn't want them even dealing with idolatry and adultery and fornication and ritualistic sacrifice. God did not want them to face those monsters, but now because of their disobedience, they had some monsters to fight. And see, in, in Judges, there's a cycle that happens over and over again. If you start to analyze what's going on, they have great victory, they fail. They cry out to God and they have great victory. They fail and they cry out to God and they have great victory. And it's this cycle of sinful behavior. After the victory, they start to get complacent. They're like, we've slain the monster. We've, in, we've taken care. We slayed the dragon. We took care of the battle and now we're good. And then in that apathy, that, that, uh, that lackadaisical attitude towards their God, they start to slip back into idolatry. So before this curse, Judah was winning. But after, God said, your enemies will defeat you. God flipped it on them. They got so comfortable with being the victors and feeling like they had success and they could live the way they want to live and they could uh, do the things they want to do and, and enjoy the culture that they were uh, experiencing for the first time. Now, all of a sudden, God flips the script and says, because you have disobeyed me, now the monsters will rule over you. And I, I imagine that this pronouncement of judgment, this curse taking the wind out of the sails of the Israelites. I mean, you can't hear something like that and think, well, bless God. Immediate conviction, I have to imagine, but they still chose to follow idolatry because God even said their gods will be a snare to you, a trap. So Israel, in the book of Judges, you can see that their belief 
is that their physical enemies, the Midianites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the, the ones that, they, that started to overcome them, they believed that those were the monsters that needed to be fought. And they fought battle after battle. And a lot of times they lost, but when they cried out to God, they won. But in reality, the book of Judges is showing us that it's not the physical enemy that you have to worry about. It is the spiritual enemy. The real monsters are the ones you can't see. The real monsters are the spiritual ones. Because if it was, if it was just the physical army of the Canaanites that were the ones that need to be slain, they would have slain them and moved on and had victory. But no, the book of Judges does not show us that. It shows that, yes, they had victory when they cried out to God, but they still slipped back into idolatry. They still struggled with that monster. And although they fought it at times when they were crying out to God, they made consecrations and, and you know, tried to recommit themselves to God, they never really slew the monster. So that monster, after that battle, just went into hiding for a little while. It, just to resurface later, and start to defeat them again. You have to slay the monster, not just fight it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul shows us this. He says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the, for, the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly or the supernatural places. Those are the monsters that need to be slain, are the ones we can't see. And the children of Israel totally missed it. They blamed everyone else on the earth for their issues, when in reality, they needed to look inside. In reality, they needed to look with spiritual eyes to find out where the real dragon is. So the real monsters, Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, in the NLT say this, so let your sinful nature, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. That's the dragon. That's the dragon, the nature of man. It's one of the dragons, I should say. But that's, that's one of the dragons that needs to be slain in our life, is our own fleshly nature. Israel didn't have problems because of their enemies. God could have taken care of that for them. They didn't have problems because of their enemies. They had problems because of their fleshly nature. They had problems because the, the, the sacrifices they weren't willing to make. That is, give up the gods of foreign lands. That's give up the culture that they were encountering. They should have just given up, listened to God, destroyed the altars, you know, got rid of every trace of that culture. They should have done that. And if they would have, I believe that they, they wouldn't have struggled the way that they did. But the fact that they allowed sinful nature to dictate their actions, the dragon defeated them. They had problems because of the monsters inside, turning to lust, pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and turning their back on God. That's what causes spiritual problems and pain. And it manifests physically. It causes physical pain and problems as well. 
And this is a universal truth that we see in scripture and myth. Because one thing that, that this professor said that really stuck with me is that the idea of, of a hero slaying a dragon, if you look at that from a psychological perspective, it reveals that humans have always struggled with inner, what we would call demons. People have always struggled with inner issues. And the fact that a hero was able to rise above that and slay a dragon shows that humans desire to be righteous and humans desire to really get out of darkness. And that's just an innate thing. Our, our flesh doesn't like that, but there's something in our spirit that wants to break out of those cycles and because it only causes pain. There's something inside of us, like our soul is crying out for a savior. And slaying the monster is a metaphor in the myth for slaying the evil nature of man or the forces of darkness and conquering it with righteousness. Revelation chapter 12, this is a great example of slaying a dragon. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 in the NLT actually reference a dragon. And this is the other kind of monster. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all his angels. This is the original dragon story. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. But the other dragon that we fight in life, other than just our flesh, is the enemy. The Bible, all the way back in Genesis, describes him as a serpent, a scaly, scaly thing. And then in Revelation, you see him described as a dragon, another scaly, winged serpent. That's the nature of the enemy, to be subtle and dark and, and wicked. And uh, you know what's really cool about dragons, and this is just something that struck me, that you know in most dragon stories, the dragons breathe fire. And then Paul references in Ephesians that the shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. It's just so interesting, the word picture that's happening. But this devil, this dragon, this, uh, the Bible also describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, an enemy that comes against the saints to try to intimidate, to try to scare with his, with his fire breathing and with his roaring and the flapping of, of monstrous wings and all this fear that he tries to instill into the people of God. That's the other monster that needs to be slain. What's really cool is how God equips his saints to fight these battles. Yes, the battle is the Lord's, but he gives strength to the saints to be heroes in the story. So let's talk about the story of Samson. The story of Samson is, is a great dissection of what the whole book of Judges is trying to show us. It parallels exactly the issues that the whole nation of Israel were fighting are paralleled identically in the life of Samson. So if you're having trouble when you're looking at, at the whole book of Judges to try to understand what is this book trying to get across, just look at Samson first. Because the exact same things that he struggled with, that's what Israel struggled with. In Judges chapter 13, verse 1 in the Amplified, it says, Now Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Again, another cycle of sin. But then the Bible starts to talk about a hero that God raises up. You know, I want to take a step back real quick. The book of Judges is full of amazing heroes of God. 
And we actually see the first like archetype of a hero show up in the book of Judges. And if you study it out, a lot of myth that talk about heroes start in 300 AD. But yet we have a book here, the Bible, that was talking about heroes and showing us how God equips his people to fight battles and to do the miraculous. Whenever Judges was written, it was a long time before that. So you start to see the first archetypes of a hero, and it begins with Othniel, if that's how you pronounce his name. But Othniel, the Bible says that Israel started to fall into sin again, uh, and the first hero that God raises up is Othniel. He's a judge of Israel, and the children of Israel were conquered by, uh, I forget who it was, it's probably the Canaanites, because it was at the beginning of Judges. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel so that he could wage war. We see the real strength of God coming from the source, which is God. He's the true hero. But he equipped somebody to rise above the conditions of his world, to rise above the sin and the garbage that was going on and fight a righteous battle. So Othniel was the first. And then you have Ahud, which is my favorite. He was a left-handed Benjamite. That's what the Bible says. And he strapped a homemade sword to his thigh. He made a sword, strapped it to his thigh, and he went into the king, uh, Eglon, I think is his name. Eglon, is that who it is? And he, he snuck into the king's chamber, presented a gift to him. And the Bible says that they sent away all the servants, and this left-handed Benjamite jumps out and stabs Eglon so deep And he was a fat guy. The king was very fat. That's what the Bible says. But he sticks that sword so far in, the fat closes around the sword, and he's without his sword. It's inside this guy. Like, just amazing stories in the book of Judges. And then you have Deborah and Barak, and and, uh, the guy's wife, what's her name, who drove a stake through the, J.L., who drove a stake through the commander's head. Like, just, man, these, like, truly heroes. You look at them and say, these guys were heroes. They, they were equipped supernaturally to do miraculous things, things that humans could not do. And yet God was raising up these people to fight the good fight. And we get to Samson, who was supposed to be another hero. He was set aside. And this is how amazing the life of Samson mirrors the children of Israel. He was set aside as a Nazarite. He was supposed to be dedicated and holy in the eyes of God. That's the whole purpose. That's what God was trying to do with the Israelites is set them aside, make them holy in his sight. So we have, first off, it beginning with a holiness commitment. And then you have Samson fighting and doing righteous things at first. And then he got complacent and started to do things that compromised the vow that he originally made with God. He started to do things and it began... It began, you know, maybe even seemed innocent at first, being around death and touching dead things. And that was, he wasn't supposed to do that. And then he started getting in trouble with ladies and and adultery and like, you know, lust. And he started dealing with all that stuff. But this is what uh, Judges said when Samson was born. He was supposed to be a hero. Judges chapter 13, verses 24 through 25 in the New King James. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at uh, Mahana, uh, Mahanadan, 
between Zorah and Eshtal. Eshtal. The Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. You know, here's another parallel with myths that we typically see with heroes, is that there is some kind of supernatural component. There's a higher power, an entity that engages this, really a nobody, but gives them special ability to do the miraculous. That's what God was doing in the book of Judges. He was encountering these people and giving them, like the Bible says, moving upon them or clothing them in his spirit, giving them strength and ability above everyone around them. And that's what Samson was supposed to be. And uh, even though he was mighty, he still had a lot of monsters in his life. Judges 14 and 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Samson. That right there was a concession. That was a compromise he made in his vow. He messed up right there because God did not want his people intermarrying with the culture. He didn't want it. He wanted it separate because God knew the monsters that would come out if his people started living with and, and being intimate with and adopting and making compromise with the nations around him. God knew. So Samson made a compromise there, and he was still strong. He was still mighty. He still slew hundreds of people on his own. But inside, there was a monster lurking. And Samson waited too long to slay that dragon. He had a severe decline in his life. And it mirrors the children of Israel again, still having ability, still doing things, but once the compromise is made, the dragon comes out. And Samson waited too long to slay that dragon to the point where he had no strength left, to the point where he couldn't see. They took his eyes out. He was chained and mocked in the court of uh, the Philistines. Man, what a decline. But what's amazing about Samson is although you, you see that story, like him, the, the crazy decline, spiritual decline in his life, he shows up in Hebrews 11. It's like, man, why on earth is that guy in Hebrews chapter 11? This is what it says, Hebrews 11, chapter 13, or I'm sorry, chapter 11, 32 through 34. Um, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going out of order. Just so you know, I'm going out of order on my, my, <laughs> my scriptures. Thank you. Hebrews 11, 32 through 34 in the New King James. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. He makes sense. Gideon, Barak, makes sense. And Samson, what? And Jephthah, he makes sense. Uh, also, David and Samuel, yeah, we get that, and the prophets. And then this is what it says about all of those men, including Samson. The Bible says, uh, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or the foreigners. Why on earth was Samson there? Because at the end of his life, he slew the dragon. 
at the end, he did. He slew it once and for all. The Bible says that he was guided and he told that guy, you know, put me on the pillar so I can stand up. And then Samson cries out to God. That's the moment when a saint becomes a hero. It's when you cry out to God and give him everything and slay the dragon inside. And Samson became a hero again because of his desire to serve the Lord at the end of his life. And the Bible says that strength came back into his body. The moment that he surrendered to God and slew that dark dragon on the inside, and he took the pillars of the temple and pushed them over, so much so that the roof caved in and killed everybody, including him. He became a hero again by slaying the dragon. So the last thing we need to talk about, we talked a lot about dragons and we talked through a, a story of, of Samson, a hero in the Bible. But how do you actually slay the dragon? How do you slay that monster? This is going to get pretty practical. Number one, have the right equipment. When I think of a hero, I don't know. I just think of Prince Philip fighting Maleficent, like just something, a hero galloping on a white steed with a sword and a shield and He's ready. He's got the right equipment. He's been prepared. He didn't leave his house without a sword and shield. He was prepared. Even in myth, there was another component that shows up, that supernatural encounter, but then also the equipment that heroes used. Many times they were magical or they had some kind of special ability that, that even made the equipment different from what other people were using. Usually, it wasn't just a sword. You see the, the myths of Arthur. He had Excalibur, the named sword, one that did something that set his authority down, that showed that he was a king. Or you have, um, you have like Hercules and the cloak that he made from the lion that he slew with his hand. Like there were, there were certain things, certain blessings, certain magical items that heroes used. And look at this. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, gives us a list of equipment that we got to have. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, that dragon fire that comes out of the mouth of the enemy. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We have such a similar, uh, such a similar thread here in, in the way that God equips his saints with those myths of old is that we do have specific equipment we are supposed to have every day. We do have the armor of God. We have the word of the Lord, we have, which is the sword of the spirit. We have our faith. We have the salvation. We have righteousness. All of these things to fight the battle and slay the monster. God has blessed his saints, given the equipment, and now will empower his saints to fight the battles that need to be fought. Number two. Know where your strength comes from. Heroes and judges, the true heroes knew that it wasn't them. 
it was God. I love what scripture says about Othniel. I'm going to go back to him for a second. Judges chapter 3, verse 10. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushnan, I can't pronounce that last part, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over that king. You know, what is so amazing is that here in Judges, the scripture is showing us that this strength that these judges had, that these heroes had, did not come from them. It's showing us over and over again, the spirit of the Lord came upon them. The, it was God who made them strong. It was God who gave them a strategic mind. It was God who actually won the battle. These heroes were just spokesmen of their creator. They were just the, you know, an example on the earth of what God could do and who God was. They were spokespeople. They were ambassadors of their king. But ultimately, you have to understand that strength comes from God alone, not from us. Especially in these spiritual battles, a human cannot last in a spiritual battle. Flesh cannot last in a spiritual battle. You have to have the supernatural spirit of God that's fueling you in these battles. Otherwise, the monster will not be slain. The chains will not be broken without the spirit of God. That's where the strength comes from. David said it over and over again. Another great hero in the Bible, another, another great warrior. Psalm 118, 14, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We have to understand. I believe that we all do understand this. But sometimes when you're in the battle and the dragon is breathing fire all over you and all you can do is hold up your shield of faith to quench those darts. Sometimes when you're in the battle, it is hard. And it's hard to remember, number one, why you're there. But then number two, it's hard to even see ourselves coming out of that. Think about that for a second, that, that word picture. You, as, just imagine yourself standing there. Whatever it is in life, whatever spiritual battle it is, envision this two-story tall of dragon, what it looks like, right? That's the picture we get from myth and from scripture is that sometimes those battles just seem insurmountable to a human. When you just look at that, a human versus a dragon, I mean, no contest, right? You would think the dragon would win. That's why we need the Spirit of God active all the time in our life. That's why we need that special equipment so that we can last and not just last. I'm not talking about just fighting this dragon or this battle, you know, until you just tire out and die. I'm talking about winning the battle. I'm talking about David and Goliath type stuff where David slew Goliath, cut off his head and ended it once and for all. I'm talking about victory because that's what God wants to provide his saints with is victory in those spiritual battles, victory over whatever it is, lust, addiction, victory over all of that and victory over the enemy. That's what God wants to provide his saints with. And he has specially equipped us 
to do this with his help. So we slay the monster. I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. Let's all stand. So we slay the monster. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Kill that flesh. Man, kill that flesh. I love how the Bible says that those who belong to Jesus have nailed it to his cross, to God's cross, Jesus, and crucified them there. One of the major monsters that we fight is our flesh. <laughs> Every day. And sometimes it feels like we are fighting the hydra. Does everybody know who the, what the hydra monster was? You cut off one head and three come back. Sometimes it feels like that. Hercules defeated that one. But sometimes it feels like that. We're in that battle and it's lasting a lot longer than it should. I got another more modern day myth that you might enjoy. It's like when Gandalf said, that he fought the Balrog for eight days at the highest point of the deepest dungeon. Sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> but what happened? Ultimately, the enemy was thrown down off the mountain. Ultimately, the enemy was slain. Whatever that enemy is, maybe it is an attack straight from the forces of darkness against you. And you're feeling that the heat of that fire from coming out of the mouth of Satan. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Or maybe you're struggling with a cycle that you can't get out of. Addiction, lust, greed, whatever. Pride, whatever it is. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe that's your monster. What I can tell you right now is that it does not matter what the monster is because we look to the true hero, which is Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. I'm going to go back to this scripture because it says dragon. Come on. I'm talking about dragons today. Revelation 12, 9. And then I'll skip verse 10 and go to verse 11. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. The forces of darkness had no place in heaven. No place. Michael, the angel, sword in hand, crossing swords with Satan himself. Man, what? This is getting me excited, okay? I don't know about y'all. But this, I love this stuff. I love the, the idea, behind, I love what it's saying. Michael, <coughs> the archangel, uh, the God's warrior, his right hand, right? The strength that he gave Michael to wage war and you know, you see that in Daniel too when Michael talks about this fight with Satan, him clashing with Satan, they're clashing swords. And then ultimately, the dragon was cast out of heaven. It was defeated up in that spiritual realm. The devil was thrown out. He lost. The dragon was cast out of heaven. And then verse 11, this is the one we love to quote. Verse 11, and they overcame him. They, meaning the saints, overcame him, meaning the dragon, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. The greatest dragon story of all right here, 
God equipping his saints with his blood and with a testimony in their soul. And that was enough to slay that old serpent. That's enough to slay that dragon once and for all. It is over. Jesus Christ is the true hero. And he is here today to equip his saints to do the miraculous, to break chains, to have victory in life, to cast out Satan, do whatever needs to be done. God is here and his victory is here today. I want to invite everybody to the front today, to this altar. Today, today we're slaying some monsters. Today we're mobilized and equipped and empowered by the strength of God, by his spirit to slay whatever monster needs to be slayed today. I don't know you. You don't know me. We don't know each other's hearts. So I don't know what dragon needs to be slain today, but we all know what we deal with. All I'm asking you and challenging you to do is today identify whatever it is. Give it to the Lord and watch the dragon fall. Watch it happen. Let's all lift our hands. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for this victorious life we get to live in. Even though it's hard and that battle is long and sometimes we get wore out and hurt and whatever, God, we know that it's tough. But today, we expect victory. Today, we're opening ourselves up, God, so that your spirit can move upon us. You're the source of strength. You're the source of equipping, God, and it's by your blood that you shed on that cross so that we can have victory over the enemy. Jesus, we give it to you and pray that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You keep praying until you get victory today. i uh-huh.